Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining. My name is Matthew. Today, I'm going to answer the question, since 2008, has the Federal Reserve had a corridor policy rate system or a floor system? Okay. So here we are again, 108 almost 109 years of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. Full picture from the discount rate to the Fed funds uh, being tracked here in the 50s uh, to a Fed funds target rate, which eventually turned into an upper and lower bound uh, after the 2008 financial crisis to also paying interest on reserves, which I covered in yesterday's video. I will do more of that today. But there's one more interest rate that I have not talked about yet. I'm going to do that right now. So our story for today starts about here. We are uh, post.com bust post 9-11 uh, crisis. Alan Greenspan, uh, later dubbed the maestro by the New York Times, takes interest rates to historical lows. And the discount rate, as always, as I've talked about, except for the 50s and the 60s, at least from the data that I'm looking at right now, and remember, in the teens and the 20s, before the Great Depression, the discount rate just worked like any other bank rate, except for the fact that the Federal Reserve could print money ex nihilo and lend to banks at that discount rate. The discount rate uh, never, other than the 50s and the 60s, never followed uh, Walter Badgett's advice. See my prior video in this series on that. You see that the discount rate is under the Fed funds rate. The discount rate should be above. It should be penalty interest in times of crisis to good collateral banks. Okay, so the Fed has lost control of this idea. That's not what they're doing. So they changed this in 2003. They changed it. And they say, we're actually going to have not just one discount rate. We're going to have three. All right. The first one is going to go back to our Walter Badgett type of a rate. And they actually said this. They, they applauded themselves for getting back to Walter Badgett here. First one is going to be called the discount window on primary credit. Only for good banks, only for big banks, only for city banks, as they used to be called in the U.S., uh, the discount window on primary credit. So let's see what happens when they discontinued the discount rate and they start the discount window on primary credit. How does it look? There we go. It's back above the Fed funds rate. It's back above the rate both that they target and the effective rate that banks lend reserves to each other. It's back above it. All right, so this is a good thing according to them, that they're finally adhering to Walter Badgett. Again, I'm, I'm sure Walter Badgett would be turning over in his grave just seeing how much they've butchered his theory over the last 100 years. But nonetheless, now they have it. Now they have a discount rate at penalty interest for uh, banks with good credit. The other two rates they don't really publish. What are the other two rates? Remember, I said they split it into three. There's the discount window on secondary credit, all right, which are more like uh, regional banks, country banks, smaller banks, credit unions. The United States has a big history of smaller banks, uh, really more than any other nation, in fact. And this is probably a fact of bad regulation, which we can talk about in another video. Uh, banks couldn't branch across state lines in the 1700s or the 1800s. Uh, the only banks that could do that were the central banks of the United States' history. So, of course, they've made the claim that really the reason this discount rate before was always under was because it was smaller banks, seasonal credit type of uh, instruments, 
that you know we just needed to have that lower. I presume it is lower than the federal funds, uh, at least as far as I've seen. I haven't seen a, a full transparent secondary credit or seasonal credit window published by the Federal Reserve. Nonetheless, they applaud themselves, literally, in a paper and many papers for getting above uh, the Fed funds rate here with this new discount window on primary credit. Now we get to the financial crisis, so they applaud themselves for a couple years. Uh, Greenspan has to raise rates because inflation is running hot from the all-time lows that he set right here with the Fed funds rate and the discount rate uh, post 9-11, post.com bust. We know the story. We've talked about it many, many times. But there's also about this time, right about when he hands over the reins to Ben Bernanke, some regulation is passed for the Federal Reserve to do one more thing with reserve balances. And mind you, reserve balances are extremely small at this point. You see that in the tooltip, six, seven, sometimes they pop up to $20 billion, $10 billion. Not at all comparable to the amount of notes greenbacks that are in circulation, which is mostly reflected in that lighter green. You can see the reserves there uh, by that green bank icon, very, very small amount on the left axis uh, until the financial crisis. So what is this regulation? Well, it says that, okay, we recognize in the United States, we have a lot of reserve requirements, primarily for larger banks, primary credit banks, systemically important banks, as they've come to be known as um, we have a lot of reserve requirements, uh, not so much for secondary banks, but we do for bigger banks. And since we also have foreign banks that bank in the United States and can hold reserves, but they don't have any reserve requirements according to their home banks back home outside of the United States, we are going to pay some interest on reserves to large American banks that might need it, if they need it has nothing to do with monetary policy at this point. It's just meant to be a buffer. The Fed is always looking out for its banks. It's owned by the banks. This is not a surprise. Um, I mean, the idea is not a surprise that they would try to do something to help the banks. And apparently foreign banks are kind of getting off easy here because they don't have reserve requirements in their own country. They also don't have to pay FDIC insurance in the United States because their operations aren't retail in the United States, a lot of them. So this idea is that basically to help out American banks who have to deal with more onerous regulations uh, than foreign banks, we're going to start to pay interest on reserves or we will pass legislation that will allow this. Now, they never enact this until the crisis. So the crisis occurs. Uh, the interest rates drop rapidly here in 2007, start of 2008. No one really knew we were in a recession. Uh, until very close to the end of 2008. Uh, as we know, many, many things happen here in the timeline. I'll zoom in as, I, as I've done before in just a second. But we see here that Bernanke is now being as accommodative as he promised he always would. Uh, lower interest rate in the uh, realization that banks are having a lot of bad mortgage-backed securities and bad loans on their books. So I'm going to move into crisis mode here. And let's see what happens when the Federal Reserve actually does start paying interest on reserves once more. Let's zoom in all the way till the end of 2008. This timeline will look easier to read again. Here we go. Okay, we've talked about this. See prior videos for more. I've decided to put the interest on reserve rates now in a dotted line. So it's a little bit easier to see because there's so many different rates as we see here. So we have the black dotted line now. That's the discount window on primary credit. 
Okay, that's above the Fed funds target. And again, it says lower at this point just because uh, I've combined it once they start a range here in December. Once they take rates to zero, the lower range is zero. The upper range is 0.25 of the Fed funds target. Uh, so I figured it's actually easier to look at this in a dotted line. So the two dotted lines below the discount rate and below the Fed funds target at this moment are interest on reserves. The upper one is interest on required reserves. The lower one is interest on excess reserves. So they start this policy tool, which was approved in 2006 for banks. Now, if the Federal Reserve was running a corridor system where interest on reserves are actually more specifically interest on excess reserves was the lowest, lowest rate that they would offer. And that's the idea of a corridor system that would be reflected here. Okay, you see this, my mouse is right on it. It's the Auburn shaded dotted line here, 0.75%. We have the Fed funds effective rate, which banks at this very moment in crisis mode are lending to each other 1.04%. This is the week of October 15th, Wednesday. The interest on required reserves is more. He knows that he's printing a lot of reserves at the moment to bail out banks. He doesn't want them to immediately lend out at least the required reserves. So he sets that higher. Uh, the Fed funds target is still higher yet. And the discount window remains a little bit higher yet for penalty interest if a bank really, really needs it at 1.75%. Now, what's the point of the corridor? Well, the corridor is we're going to be more scientific. We're going to have many more interest rates now. This bottom bottom level of the corridor will be interest on excess reserves the fed funds and interest on required reserves as well should be around there because required reserves is what banks should always hold because again that's there is no reserve ratio that's required for a lot of smaller banks in the united states as well but the larger banks this number that's typically used is 10 percent. so that means that reserves uh, should at least be 10 percent in value of your total demand deposits outstanding so the interest on required reserves, the Fed funds rate, the target rate, the effective rate should all be in sort of the middle of the corridor. And then the discount rate, which we talked about at the beginning of this video, the discount window on primary credit, that is the, the roof of the corridor, okay? So it, it looks like a corridor for now, okay? Discount window at the top, Fed funds stuff and required reserve interest uh, in the middle, okay? and then the interest on excess reserves at the bottom of the corridor. Now, it doesn't take too long to see what happens. How long did this corridor system actually stay in place? One week, two weeks. Let's look at the second week now, the second Wednesday. Interest on excess reserves still 0.75%. Fed funds is just above it, 0.81%. The target is well above that, as we talked about in prior videos. They're already losing control here of their target. 1.5%. Interest on required, uh, same, 1.4%. And the discount window is 1.75%. So uh, even though the Fed Fund's effective rate, what the rate that banks are lending for each other, is starting to crash, they're starting to tell the Federal Reserve we're not going to take much risk here, the corridor is still in place, right? But after two weeks, the corridor has now been floored. And I use this term floored from Dr. George Selgin. He's written a book on this. I recommend it. It's called Floored. Um, talking about this system, why it started, the Federal Reserve's original intent, what they say they want to do and what they actually do. Again, this 
I'm just trying to keep it relatively simple here. Let's just look at what they're actually doing. Uh, the Fed funds rate, which is supposed to be in the middle, as well as the target rate, of course, is supposed to be in the middle of this corridor. It's now below. It's below the interest on reserves. And uh, it takes only, you know, three more weeks for a total of basically five weeks for the interest on excess reserves and the interest on required reserves to converge. And they converge at the Fed funds rate at 1%. Okay, so now it, it doesn't really matter at all if you have some reserves that, okay, the Fed, the idea is that, and maybe I don't say this enough, the idea with all of this, and I'm not defending the Federal Reserve here, I'm not defending central banking here, it should be understood. The idea with all of this stuff is reserves are scarce. The Federal Reserve, yes, it is a lender of last resort, but reserves are meant to be scarce, scarce-based money, and you need to lend that out to help the economy. You know, that's the, the business that banks engage in. So. Banks should lend out reserves. They should engage in lending. And regardless of what the reserve ratio is, the interest rate that they pay each other, that should be relatively targeted by the Federal Reserve, close to the red line. We see that it's not at this point. And it should reflect sort of the most risk-free type of a rate uh, because when banks make loans to each other, by the way, of reserves, some banks are short on reserves, some banks are, have reserve surpluses, they, they lend to each other, that's reflected in this interest rate. These are uncollateralized loans. There's no need to collateralize with securities or anything. Everybody holds the reserves at the Fed. They know that the reserves are at the Fed at the central bank. So these are uncollateralized uh, loans, and these should be the safest sort of a rate anyway. And then they continue on and they make loans uh, with rates that are much higher and they collect a spread. But this whole business of interest on reserves, it begins, again, as in 2006, as I mentioned, with having nothing to do with the crisis. Uh, just having to do with giving banks a little bit extra cushion compared to foreign banks. But now it becomes, as I talked about yesterday, it becomes a policy tool. It becomes something that uh, helicopter Ben Bernanke wants to use to control the amount of reserves uh, that banks lend out. And rather than have it be a pure corridor system where, you know, just some interest on excess reserves is at the bottom, all the Fed funds, the target, the effective is in the middle. And then the discount window is on top for penalty interest. If you need to come directly to the Federal Reserve for a loan, all right, as Walter Badgett said, rather than having this corridor system, which they had here for literally two weeks, they moved to what Dr. Selgin has termed a floor system, where now we have the Fed funds, interest on reserves, both required and excess reserves. It, there's, there's factually no difference now. Fundamentally, there's no difference between required reserves and excess reserves. Again, what is the difference? Required would just be reserves needed to hold that reserve ratio for your deposits, and excess would be, well, okay, you need to lend those out. You need to take more risk. You need to help uh, members of the economy and and this is the idea of central banking. But that's not what happened. That's just not what happened. As we move on here, uh, we see that, okay, the Madoff Ponzi really spurred the Fed to uh, drop rates to zero. The Fed tries to be cheeky again and has a lower bound and upper bound of Fed funds now. So the lower, the lower bound, as you see, I've always labeled it the lower here uh, before this date of December 10th. The lower bound is now zero. The upper bound is 0.25%. So that's in blue now. I'll take out the, uh, let me take out all of those rates so you can just see it. There it is in blue, the upper bound. 
okay? Lower bound is at zero, which was I'm using as the prior entire target, which was never a, a range. Uh, discount rate is still above, okay? And the Fed funds, again, this is okay for now. It should be in the middle of this corridor. But where is the interest on both required reserves and excess reserves? Let's put them on. One, required reserves. Two, excess reserves. They're the same level. And it's the same rate as the Fed Fund's upper target of 0.25%. And so it actually becomes what Dr. Selgin has termed a leaky floor or a floor with a subfloor. Um, because you see that the Fed Funds itself, yes, they're doing a good job of keeping it within that little range. All right, the Fed Funds now is 0.1%, 0.12%. It's between the lower target and the upper target for the Fed Funds rate. Again, these are the rates that banks are lending to each other. But why would banks engage any more in the economy if for their entire level of reserves, they can just park them at the Fed and get 0.25%, which is the exact same level as the Fed Fund's target upper rate. And it's the exact same level, as I just said, of the interest on required reserves and interest on excess reserves. So why would they wanna take any more risk, especially in such a risky time and indeed they don't. We can zoom out here and continue on. This is the, the world. Zero interest rate policy. ZERP level interest rates. Where basically, you know, for over five years, the interest on required reserves equaled the interest on excess reserves. So there's fundamentally no difference. Only for five weeks there was a difference. And only for two weeks there was a corridor. <laughs> so there's fundamentally no difference. It's not a corridor system. It's a floor system with a leaky floor where the actual uh, Fed funds effective rate that banks lend to each other is below that. So it hardly shows that they're doing a good job of sort of targeting where they want the rate to be. And it's a floor system. It's a leaky floor system. It's not at all a corridor system. Again, this dotted line, really the interest on excess reserves, but both of them are the same. Um, the interest on excess reserves should be below any Fed funds target rate and any Fed funds effective rate. So the Fed funds effective rate, you can see is that's not the case. It's below that. All right, it's in the it's in the leaky floor, the leaky basement. And I'll even take off the lower rate because it's kind of meaningless um, as I go up here. So let's let's just look a little bit. I don't want to go too much into what happened here with with COVID and and whatnot. But let me take off the lower bound just so you can really see how much of a floor system this is. Okay, so as we go up, let me zoom in. As we go up here, uh, they're trying to normalize their balance sheet, but they're not doing it in a way that they typically would. In a, a typical way, how banking would go, you would just allow banks to lend out reserves because there'd be no interest paid on reserves and the economy would equilibrate with any new reserves. Uh, this is an important point, by the way. It's not just the fact that the economy is uncertain during this time or the Fed is so accommodative that they're not lending out these reserves. It's precisely because of the interest rate. Uh, Dr. Selgin has made this point, as I understand, to many Fed economists who say, well, it's just, a, you know, banks aren't lending out reserves because things are so uncertain. In Weimar, in Weimar, Germany, with the Weimar hyperinflation, banks found plenty of ways they had reserves that were printed even faster 
than this. All right, not just paper money, reserves, ledger-based money that was printed even faster than this. And they found a way to lend it out. So banks can always lend out. Uh, this is just the nature of banking. That's what they do. They lend to try to find the best use of that capital and they keep a spread on the interest. That's just how it works. That's how capital markets work. That was not possible here. It was not possible for them to lend because one, Bernanke just didn't want to let all of this monetary inflation fly into the economy, as we talked about, because that would be highly price inflationary. But two, uh, he just figured, let's have this interest on reserves and let them park it here in order to stop that. And that's exactly what happened. So banks aren't even really worried about parting with their own reserves on the short-term basis. You see the Fed funds rate is below the floor, the subfloor. <laughs> um, basically, it's below uh, the interest on excess reserves, which is the same rate, again, as interest on required reserves and the Fed funds rate. It's below it all the way up here. So the only way that Bernanke can get banks to lend some money is to shrink the balance sheet, which he tries to do here. He tries to normalize. Uh, really from 2014, he stopped printing. He stopped QE3 from mid 2014. And then the only way really is to raise the policy rate. But that's not how banking typically works. I don't, I don't raise the rate to get you to lend more. That's just not the, that's not, typically how it works. Uh, I either print more or less reserves and then the economy would equilibrate anyway because you have a reserve ratio. But this is what he has to do. So he has to shrink the balance sheet and he tries, tries, he tries. But then we get to here, the repo spike. We'll talk more about this in future videos. And then here, of course, COVID, everything just goes to, uh, to hell anyway. And by the way, I, I'm sorry, I know I kept saying Bernanke the whole time. In this window, actually, this Zoom, Yellen took over uh, somewhere here, 2014. So she was actually the one that had to do the hard work of raising the rates. And then Powell took over during the Trump administration in 2018, and he continued the hike. But the idea, of course, Ben Bernanke is, is credited with a lot of this because interest on reserves started under his watch, uh, or at least the start of his watch, the end of Greenspan's watch. And then, of course, just the massive monetary inflation uh, of the balance sheet, reserve balances, and then of course just paying using this policy that was passed on 2006 to now affect monetary policy, which is much different than what it was originally intended for. Unintended consequences can indeed occur. So this was the only time where it was anything like a corridor system right here, the first two weeks of trying it. October 15th, October 22nd, the moment that the Fed funds dipped below it, there was really no going back. Why would banks even take any risk lending their own reserves out to other banks, which is what the yellow thing is, um, the yellow line, when they can just park their reserves, not do anything at the Fed and receive interest. And that's exactly what happened. So it's not normal banking. Uh, it does, though, again, to be clear, what that does do is it stops this big green mammoth whale of a money supply which has exploded right remember it's only 10 20 billion dollars before the global financial crisis all right so all of these bad assets bad mortgage-backed securities that were taken off of banks books and some even indirectly money market funds books you know qe1 qe2 qe3 the reason that all of that never made its way into the economy was because of this stated corridor system but really it was a floor system 
And uh, it's because banks got better interest on their reserves with the Federal Reserve than they could get anywhere else. And I'm gonna show you this even further now. In the next video, I'm gonna compare this interest on required reserves and interest on excess reserves with other rates in the market. Thanks for watching.